0: Section two of Great Ghost Stories by Joseph Lewis French. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section two, The House and the Brain, Part Two. It was but for a moment that I remained undecided whether or not to follow my servant, pride and curiosity alike forbade me so dastardly a flight i re-entered my room closing the door after me and proceeded cautiously into the interior chamber i encountered nothing to justify my servant's terror i again carefully examined the walls to see if there were any concealed door i could find no trace of one even a seam in the dull brown paper with which the room was hung how then had the thing whatever it was which had so scared him obtained ingress except through my own chamber i returned to my room shut and locked the door that opened upon the interior one and stood on the hearth expectant and prepared I now perceived that the dog had slunk into an angle of the wall and was pressing himself close against it, as if literally striving to force his way into it. I approached the animal and spoke to it. The poor brute was evidently beside itself with terror. It showed all its teeth, the slaver dropping from its jaws, and would certainly have bitten me if i had touched it it did not seem to recognize me whoever has seen at the zoological gardens a rabbit fascinated by a serpent cowering in a corner may form some idea of the anguish which the dog exhibited finding all efforts to soothe the animal in vain and fearing that his bite might be as venomous in that state As in the madness of hydrophobia, I left him alone, placed my weapons on the table beside the fire, seated myself, and recommenced my Macaulay. I now became aware that something interposed between the page and the light. The page was overshadowed. I looked up, and I saw what I shall find it very difficult perhaps impossible to describe it was a darkness shaping itself forth from the air in very undefined outline i cannot say it was of a human form and yet it had more resemblance to a human form or rather shadow than to anything else as it stood wholly apart and distinct from the air and the light around it its dimensions seemed gigantic the summit nearly touching the ceiling while i gazed a feeling of intense cold seized me an iceberg before me could not more have chilled me nor could the cold of an iceberg have been more purely physical i feel convinced that it was not the cold caused by fear as i continued to gaze i thought but this i cannot say with precision that i distinguished two eyes looking down on me from the height one moment i fancied that i distinguished them clearly the next they seemed gone still two rays of a pale blue light frequently shot through the darkness, as from the height on which I half-believed, half-doubted, that I had encountered the eyes. I strove to speak. My voice utterly failed me. I could only think to myself, is this fear? It is not fear. Fear i strove to rise in vain i felt as if weighed down by an irresistible force indeed my impression was that of an immense and overwhelming power opposed to my volition that sense of utter inadequacy to cope with a force beyond man's which one may feel physically in a storm at sea in a conflagration or when confronting some terrible wild beast, or rather perhaps the shark of an ocean, I felt morally. Opposed to my will was another will, as far superior to its strength as storm, fire, and shark are superior in material force to the force of man. And now, as this impression grew on me, now came at last horror horror to a degree that no words can convey still i retained pride if not courage and in my own mind i said this is horror but it is not fear unless i fear i cannot be harmed my reason rejects this thing it is an illusion i do not fear with a violent effort i succeeded at last in stretching out my hand toward the weapon on the table as i did so on the arm and shoulder i received a strange shock and my arm fell to my side powerless and now to add to my horror the light began slowly to wane from the candles They were not, as it were, extinguished, but their flame seemed very gradually withdrawn. It was the same with the fire. The light was extracted from the fuel. In a few minutes the room was in utter darkness. The dread that came over me to be thus in the dark with that dark thing whose power was so intensely felt. "'brought a reaction of nerve. "'In fact, terror had reached that climax, "'that either my senses must have deserted me "'or I must have burst through the spell. "'I did burst through it. "'I found voice, though the voice was a shriek. "'I remembered that I broke forth with words like these. "'I do not fear. "'My soul does not fear.' and at the same time i found strength to rise still in that profound gloom i rushed to one of the windows tore aside the curtain flung open the shutters my first thought was light and when i saw the moon high clear and calm i felt a joy that almost compensated for the previous terror there was the moon There was also the light from the gas lamps in the deserted slumberous street. I turned to look back into the room. The moon penetrated its shadow very palely and partially, but still there was light. The dark thing, whatever it might be, was gone, except that I could yet see a dim shadow, which seemed the shadow of that shade, against the opposite wall my eye now rested on the table and from under the table which was without cloth or cover an old mahogany round table there rose a hand visible as far as the wrist it was a hand seemingly as much of flesh and blood as my own but the hand of an aged person lean wrinkled small too a woman's hand that hand very softly closed on the two letters that lay on the table the hand and letters both vanished then there came the same three loud measured knocks I had heard at the bedhead before this extraordinary drama had commenced. As those sounds slowly ceased, I felt the whole room vibrate sensibly, and at the far end there rose, as from the floor, sparks or globules like bubbles of light, many colored green, yellow, fire red, azure and down to and fro hither thither as tiny will-o'-the-wisps the the sparks moved slow or swift each at its own caprice the chair as in the drawing-room below was now advanced from the wall without apparent agency and placed at the opposite side of the table suddenly as forth from the chair There grew a shape, a woman's shape. It was distinct as a shape of life, ghastly as a shape of death. The face was that of youth, with a strange, mournful beauty. The throat and shoulders were bare, the rest of the form in a loose robe of cloudy white. It began sleeking its long yellow hair, which fell over its shoulders, Its eyes were not turned toward me, but to the door. It seemed listening, watching, waiting. The shadow of the shade in the background grew darker, and again I thought I beheld the eyes gleaming out from the summit of the shadow, eyes fixed upon that shape. As if from the door though it did not open there grew out another shape equally distinct equally ghastly a man's shape a young man's it was in the dress of the last century or rather in a likeness of such dress for both the male shape and the female though defined were evidently unsubstantial impalpable simulacra, phantasms, and there was something incongruous, grotesque, yet fearful, in the contrast between the elaborate finery, the courtly precision of that old-fashioned garb with its ruffles and lace and buckles, and the corpse-like stillness of the flitting wearer. Just as the male shape approached the female— THE DARK SHADOW STARTED FROM THE WALL, ALL THREE FOR A MOMENT WRAPPED IN DARKNESS. WHEN THE pale LIGHT RETURNED, THE TWO PHANTOMS WERE AS IF IN THE GRASP OF THE SHADOW THAT TOWERED BETWEEN THEM, AND THERE WAS A BLOOD STAIN ON THE BREAST OF THE FEMALE, AND THE PHANTOM MALE WAS LEANING ON ITS PHANTOM SWORD and blood seemed trickling fast from the ruffles from the lace and the darkness of the intermediate shadow swallowed them up they were gone and again the bubbles of light shot and sailed and undulated growing thicker and thicker and more wildly confused in their movements THE CLOSET DOOR TO THE RIGHT OF THE FIREPLACE NOW OPENED, AND FROM THE APERTURE THERE CAME FORTH THE FORM OF AN AGED WOMAN. IN HER HAND SHE HELD LETTERS, THE VERY LETTERS OVER WHICH I HAD SEEN THE HAND CLOSE, AND BEHIND HER I HEARD A FOOTSTEP. SHE TURNED ROUND AS IF TO LISTEN, AND THEN SHE OPENED THE LETTERS AND SEEMED TO READ and over her shoulder I saw a livid face, the face as of a man long drowned, bloated, bleached, seaweed tangled in his dripping hair, and at her feet lay a form as of a corpse, and beside the corpse there cowered a child, a miserable, squalid child, with famine in its cheeks and fear in its eyes. And as I looked in the old woman's face, the wrinkles and lines vanished, and it became a face of youth, hard-eyed, stony, but still youth. And the shadow darted forth and darkened over those phantoms as it had darkened over the last. Nothing now was left but the shadow, and on that my eyes were intently fixed till again eyes grew out of the shadow, malignant serpent eyes, and the bubbles of light again rose and fell, and in their disordered, irregular, turbulent maze mingled with the wan moonlight. And now from these globules themselves, as from the shell of an egg, monstrous things burst out. The air grew filled with them, larvae so bloodless and so hideous that i can in no way describe them except to remind the reader of the swarming life which the solar microscope brings before his eyes in a drop of water things transparent supple agile chasing each other devouring each other forms like not ever beheld by the naked eye as the shapes were without symmetry so their movements were without order in their very vagrancies there was no sport they came round me and round thicker and faster and swifter swarming over my head crawling over my right arm which was outstretched in involuntary command against all evil beings Sometimes I felt myself touched, but not by them. Invisible hands touched me. Once I felt the clutch as of cold, soft fingers at my throat. I was still equally conscious that if I gave way to fear, I should be in bodily peril. And I concentrated all my faculties in the single focus of resisting stubborn will and i turned my sight from the shadow above all from those strange serpent eyes eyes that had now become distinctly visible for there though in naught else around me i was aware that there was a will and a will of intense creative working evil which might crush down my own THE PALE ATMOSPHERE IN THE ROOM BEGAN NOW TO REDDEN, AS IF IN THE AIR OF SOME NEAR conflagration. THE LARVAE GREW LURID AS THINGS THAT LIVE IN FIRE. AGAIN THE MOON VIBRATED. AGAIN THERE WERE HEARD THE THREE MEASURED KNOCKS. AND AGAIN ALL THINGS WERE SWALLOWED UP IN THE DARKNESS OF THE DARK SHADOW as if out of that darkness all had come, into that darkness all returned. As the gloom receded, the shadow was wholly gone. Slowly, as it had been withdrawn, the flame grew again into the candles on the table, again into the fuel in the grate. The whole room came once more calmly, healthfully into sight. The two doors were still closed, the door communicating with the servant's room still locked. In the corner of the wall, into which he had so convulsively niched himself, lay the dog. I called to him. No movement. I approached. The animal was dead. His eyes protruded, his tongue out of his mouth. The froth gathered round his jaws. I took him in my arms. I brought him to the fire. I felt acute grief for the loss of my poor favorite. Acute self reproach. I accused myself of his death. I imagined he had died of fright. But what was my surprise on finding that his neck was actually broken. Had this been done in the dark? Must it not have been by a hand human as mine? Must there not have been a human agency all the while in that room? Good cause to suspect it. I cannot tell. I cannot do more than state the fact fairly. The reader may draw his own inference. Another surprising circumstance... My watch was restored to the table from which it had been so mysteriously withdrawn, but it had stopped at the very moment it was so withdrawn. Nor, despite all the skill of the watchmaker, has it ever gone since. That is, it will go in a strange, erratic way for a few hours and then come to a dead stop. It is worthless." nothing more chanced for the rest of the night nor indeed had i long to wait before the dawn broke nor till it was broad daylight did i quit the haunted house before i did so i revisited the little blind room in which my servant and myself had been for a time imprisoned i had a strong impression for which i could not account THAT FROM THAT ROOM HAD ORIGINATED THE MECHANISM OF THE PHENOMENA, IF I MAY USE THE TERM, WHICH HAD BEEN EXPERIENCED IN MY CHAMBER. AND THOUGH I ENTERED IT NOW IN THE CLEAR DAY, WITH THE SUN PEERING THROUGH THE FILMY WINDOW, I STILL FELT, AS I STOOD ON ITS FLOORS, THE CREEP OF THE HORROR WHICH I HAD FIRST THERE EXPERIENCED THE NIGHT BEFORE. And which had been so aggravated by what had passed in my own chamber i could not indeed bear to stay more than half a minute within those walls i descended the stairs and again i heard the footfall before me and when i opened the street door i thought i could distinguish a very low laugh i gained my own house expecting to find my runaway servant there but he had not presented himself nor did i hear more of him for three days when i received a letter from him dated from liverpool to this effect honoured sir i humbly entreat your pardon though i can scarcely hope that you will think that i deserve it unless which heaven forbid You saw what I did. I feel that it will be years before I can recover myself, and as to being fit for service, it is out of the question. I am therefore going to my brother-in-law at Melbourne. The ship sails tomorrow. Perhaps the long voyage may set me up. I do nothing now but start and tremble, and fancy it is behind me. I humbly beg you, honoured sir, to order my clothes and whatever wages are due to me, to be sent to my mother's at Walworth. John knows her address. The letter ended with additional apologies, somewhat incoherent, in explanatory details as to effects that had been under the writer's charge. This flight may perhaps warrant a suspicion that the man wished to go to Australia, and had been somehow or other fraudulently mixed up with the events of the night. I say nothing in refutation of that conjecture. Rather, I suggest it as one that would seem to many persons the most probable solution of improbable occurrences." my belief in my own theory remained unshaken end of section two the house and the brain part two